You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a podcast offered in partnership with Missio Alliance. Each episode, we discuss internal and relational pressures, how they block effective leadership, and how we can move through them to a greater health. Now your host, Steve Cuts. All right, folks. Hey, no guests today. For my newer listeners, uh, once in a while, I'll either have a friend of mine on the mic with me or I'll just chat to you uh, without a guest. And we, we don't interview a guest. We actually talk about a concept from managing leadership, anxiety, and capable life. And today, I want to have a conversation with you about criticism, uh, the different dynamics of criticism, some tools to help handle criticism. Because as I've listened to so many faith leaders in 2020, and as I keep listening to faith leaders today, I just see that criticism remains one of the most difficult ongoing dynamics and challenges you, uh, you face as a leader. You know, Andy Stanley so famously says that you have to decide if a problem is something to solve or if it's a tension to manage. And in my opinion, criticism is the second. It's, you're never going to solve it. You have to learn how to manage the tension of it. You know, what I do in Capable Life and what I did on managing leadership anxiety is I'll take a big word or, or a big concept and I try to break it down into its parts. That's what I do with anxiety. You know, anxiety is overwhelming, but then when you learn the different dynamics around anxiety, some of the different tools, it can really help you overcome and, and start to manage anxiety. I think it's the same with criticism. Criticism is a big word and I want to speak to particularly faith leaders who work in a church. This may be true in other vocations as well. But those of us who are church leaders, I think one of the reasons that criticism hurts more is we take our vocation so personally, you know, like we take it personally. Also, because of the nature of church work, oftentimes a critic kind of uh, adds God to the weight of their criticism, right? Like they really do believe that they are representing God against you. So criticism is intense in a church. Um, I, I don't think uh, church leadership is the only vocation that attracts this kind of criticism, but there is an interesting dynamic that because people attend a church, they think they know how to lead a church. And so even if somebody doesn't have a harsh criticism or, or is pretty brutal, even sometimes just what they feel are their helpful suggestions can be received by us as stinging criticism because, you know, we come away from those encounters and we say, well, you, you don't know anything about running a church. You don't know what it's like. We kind of move into self-pity, you know. So I want to talk to us briefly, probably 30 minutes or so. I'm actually going to move very quickly through some dynamics of criticism. And just want you to know that I actually offer this as a workshop for teams. Uh, if you ever want me to come in or do a Zoom with your team on the dynamics of criticism where you can interact with these concepts, uh, you can just reach out to me, steve at stevecusswords.com. We can start a conversation about it uh, because I'm not convinced that, that a monologue on a podcast is the best way to really engage this, but, but let's just get started. And, and the first thing to know is that anxiety resides in four spaces, the space inside me, the space between me and another, the space inside the other, and then the space between others. So those four spaces, again, the space inside of me, anxiety resides in me. The space between me and another, anxiety often resides between me and another person and the way we relate to each other. The third space is the space inside the other, what's going on in them. By that, I mean we get anxious by trying to figure out what they're thinking. <laughs> that's, that's third space. 
And then the fourth space is the space between others. If you've ever walked into a room and you've kind of stepped on a mood or you can feel there's a mood in the room before you got there, that's the space between others. Out of the four spaces, God resides in all those spaces. But one of those spaces you and I can do nothing about. That's the third space, the space inside the other. If you spend too much time thinking, what are they thinking? Why do they do it that way? I can't believe, why don't they think about it this way? First of all, you're in cognitive dissonance and cognitive dissonance is always evidence that you're in anxiety's grip. But secondly, you're in third space. You're in holy ground. You're in the space that you can do nothing about. You cannot change another person. Oftentimes when I do dynamics or criticism uh, webinars or, or seminars for organizations, People have spent too much of their time trying to change the third space, the space inside the other. And so just the simple understanding that, for example, you do not have control over how people are going to communicate with you. You can't stop people from bringing criticism to you. What you can do is you can break down the criticism and stop the damage it does to you, the reaction you have. I would say in my uh, you know, I've been in ministry 25 years. I've been a lead pastor 15 and a half, coming up on 16 years. Man, one of, one, of the, one of the top three ongoing challenges I face is how I handle criticism, uh, how much it hurts, how, how deeply I stew on it. And I know in some ways I'm kind of unusual. Like I, I'm a highly sensitive person. I feel deeply. I'm very intuitive. So some of those gifts become kind of curses when it comes to getting my feelings hurt. And so some of you may be listening and just saying, look, just suck it up and grow up. Yeah, no kidding. There's, there's some truth to that. But for a lot of us, it, it's really the, uh, the criticism that, that wears us down. So I want to break criticism down into two groups. We have internal sources of criticism. We have external sources of criticism. And again, I'm going to move faster through this podcast than, than may normally be helpful. So there are two internal sources of criticism. The first one is your inner critic. The second one is the giants on your shoulders. These are both critics that reside inside you and that can especially be activated when somebody outside of you brings criticism to you. It can activate these internal critics. So let's talk first about the inner critic. The inner critic is an internal source of criticism. This is the critic in your head. This is the story you tell yourself. This is the voice that says, you should know better by now. This is the voice that says, you don't belong here. You're out of your league. Why did you do it that way? It's your own criticism of yourself. Now, I actually do a whole workshop just on the inner critic because I believe that particularly in Western culture, it's the inner critic that is the key evidence of spiritual warfare. I, I believe actually that freedom and peace in Christ is most often fought for in the mind in Western culture. So the inner critic is a big deal. I do a whole thing on the inner critic. Let me just say a couple of things. One of the biggest problems with the inner critic is how much we allow it to have free reign in our mind. Uh, I don't believe you can ever get rid of your inner critic. I believe it's just always going to be there, drip, 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 uh, giving you that voice of condemnation. So I don't think the goal is to eliminate it. I think the goal is to starve it and relocate it. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Office Space. This is before the TV show The Office. I think it was late 90s. Office Space, great movie about office politics and the dynamics of working in middle management in an office. 
there was a character in Office Space named Milton. And if you're not familiar with this, you can Google Milton and Office Space. You see a great picture. But basically, they figured out at some point that Milton wasn't really doing anything. And so they stopped paying him. But he kept showing up for work. And this really puzzled them. They didn't know what to do. Like, they fired Milton. They actually took him off payroll. And then he just comes to work the next day. It's pretty impressive, actually. And so what they did is they then just started making it less and less comfortable for Milton. They took away his office. They relocated him to the basement. Uh, By the time they were done making Milton uncomfortable, he was like up against a wall in a basement, huddled in a tiny dark corner. Uh, They also started removing his office supplies from him. And kind of the final scene of Milton is he's clutching to his stapler in the basement. And so just one of the challenges for those of you who have a harsh inner critic, and I know on a podcast, easier said than done. One of the challenges is why are you giving your inner critic the best real estate in your brain, right? Like, like if you can't, if, if you fire your inner critic and, and he or she keeps showing up for work, sure, that's going to happen. But you don't have to give him the corner office. You don't have to give him the best supplies. So number one is simply the commitment to, to stop paying your inner critic, stop feeding your inner critic, relocate it to the basement. So in my life, I've been doing inner critic work in my own life for several years. I still have an inner critic. At its mildest form, my inner critic says, you should know better by now. You know, you've, you're an experienced leader. You made a mistake. You should know better by now. And at its harshest, my inner critic just goes straight to the shame, just, just flooded with shame of stupidity you're stupid. You know, you, you're not smart enough to do this, that kind of stuff. So it's interesting once you get a handle on your inner critic and the messages it sends, one of the ways that you can relegate it to the basement, first of all, a simple thing you can do is name it. And by naming it, you can start to tame it. So I've actually named my inner critic Milton after the office space character. And then you can make the intentional move to stop paying it stop feeding it, and relocating it to the basement. I want to be clear. It's still going to show up for work. It's still going to have a message. I don't believe you can ever fully eliminate it. You can just reduce its impact. And so what I do is is oftentimes this next exercise, this is why I do this in workshops, is because you really need a friend to do this with. So one of the things I do is I get people into groups. So even as you listen to this podcast, you could grab two or three friends that you trust and you can get in a group and you can ask the following question. What message does your inner critic send? What message does your inner critic send? So for example, I was sharing from my own life, you know, you should know better by now. Uh, You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. Most of the messages of an inner critic are deeply tied to shame and the feeling of exposure that maybe we're a fraud or we're not enough. So if, if you in your group, and really you have to choose a safe group, if you and your group can go around your circle and actually share what message does your inner critic say, that's step one. And then what you do for each other is you'll take out a pad and paper, something to write on. As your friends are sharing their message, you listen for adjectives. As you hear the inner critic of your friend, what adjectives would you use to describe that message? Now, the reason we do this is a a couple of reasons. Number one, 
When you get in a safe group of people you trust and you share vulnerable things, you get power over them. That's why in Capable Life and my online community, we are big believers in brave practice and externalization, actually saying out loud to another human being, here's what I believe, here's the message. So just getting in a smaller group and sharing the message of your inner critic, it's huge. It's huge. But also, when you start writing down the adjectives as your friends are sharing, and they write down the adjectives that they hear in your inner critic, it gets really like stuck. It, it, it's, you suddenly realize what kind of damage your inner critic is doing. So step number one, you get a group. Step number two, everyone takes a turn on the hot seat, only takes a few minutes, and you bravely tell your group, one of you has to go first, you bravely tell your group, okay, here's the messages that my inner critic sends. Now your group is now writing down adjectives and as, as they take their turns, you're writing down the adjectives. The next thing you do is you make a master list of these adjectives, just compile all the adjectives. And what you'll find when you do that is how in common the adjectives are. You probably would have written down things like harsh, unrelenting, unforgiving, hateful. Some, some people even write down the adjectives of the words, so they'll say stupid, not enough, things like that. Okay, the next step is you now go back around the circle and you simply share the simplest thing, and this is a simple thing. What do we know about God that is true? So if this is the message of our inner critic, then the next step is, well, what's the message of God? In other words, if the inner critic is bad news and harsh and condemning, and doom-filled, what is the gospel? And write that down. And what people usually write down is things like, God is patient, loving, God is kind, right? Romans 8.1 very often comes up in the exercise. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a really powerful moment of clarity when you can compare the message of your inner critic with the truth of the gospel. I believe one of the reasons that we are anxious as leaders is because fundamentally we live out of our false self, not out of our true self. And, you know, I don't say that as a condemnation or as a guilt. If, if you heard that and you are feeling condemned and guilty, that's because of your harsh inner critic. Also, the inner critic gets really sophisticated. Like, for example, for me, I've now been known as kind of the anxiety coach for a couple of years now, and I still get anxious. And in fact, I get anxious every day. The last time I was quite anxious was this morning. You'll be proud to know that I pulled out my life-giving list and I spent an hour doing life-giving things this morning, which predominantly involved prayer and taking my gorgeous dog Brody out for a walk. Um, and I came back completely relaxed. So just to give you a vision that it's, this is not about eliminating anxiety, it's about managing anxiety. Anyway, I get anxious every day and my inner critic has gotten quite sophisticated. It will now say, hey, you're the anxiety guy and you're anxious, you know, right? But when I compare the message of my inner critic to the message of the gospel, it's night and day. God is patient. God is kind. God is slow to anger, quick to forgive. So, so you make the message of your inner critic, then you write down the adjectives, then you write down the adjectives and what is true about God and now what I'm going to ask you to do in your group is fill in the blank. Now, maybe you're listening to this by yourself. You can do this work by yourself. It's fine. 
but it is so much more powerful to do it in a group. Here's the fill in the blank. What if I were at least as blank to myself as God is? What if I were at least as blank to myself as God is? Simple. Not easy. It's not easy. Simple and easy are not the same thing. It is simple. But it is brave work to believe the gospel over the belief we have in our inner critic. The fact is our inner critic has been a constant companion most of our life and it's tangible and it's an ever-present help in times of trouble, except it's not a help. It's the antithesis of Psalm 46. It's the voice of doom, of condemnation. You're not enough. What you did was wrong. You are wrong. Meanwhile, you have God. And all God expects out of us is to be exactly human-sized. That's all God wants out of you as a leader. God does not expect you to be perfect because God is perfect. And when you try to be perfect, you are taking the place of God. And if your inner critic is condemning you because you're taking the place of God, that's not from God, that's from your inner critic. God is relieving you of the burden of having to be perfect. God does not expect you to know everything, to always have the answer. God is the one that knows everything. What God expects out of you is to be open to learning, to recover from your mistakes, to to be freed from having to cover over your mistakes. You don't have to be defensive about your mistakes anymore because God died to free you from that. God is the one that is perfect. God is the one that knows everything. One of the things you'll notice about your inner critic is how it is attempting to turn you into God. And one of the reasons you find all this pressure with your inner critic is because it is expecting you to be godlike. So Jesus died to free you from that. And I just want to invite you to remember that the very first temptation humans faced in the Garden of Eden was you can be like God. The simple fact is none of us can be like God. We can follow God and what we can do is much more wonderful and freeing. We can be human, exactly human size. What if I were at least as blank to myself as God is? So notice how your inner critic is trying to make you God and that's why you stop paying it, you stop giving it the corner office, you relegate it to the basement. And what you do, and this is an act of faith, is you choose to believe the message of God above the message of your inner critic, the story you're telling yourself. For me, the most tangible way I walk by faith in my life is believing the gospel over believing myself. Because when I'm believing myself, I'm putting myself in the throne of God. When I'm believing the gospel of God, which for me is difficult to believe, it is hard for me to believe that God loves me wonderfully. It is hard for me to believe that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knows every hair on my head. Although I, I got to say, as I get older, that's getting easier for God, less hairs. But still, this is so important. This, this work is so important for leaders because we can only lead out of the depth of our own soul. We can only lead, like, like so many leaders I know are gifted at proclaiming the love of God but struggle to experience the love of God for yourself. There's this gap between what you proclaim to others and what you believe for yourself. And if you don't manage that gap, you will become a shell of a leader. 
you'll become more reactive, more combative, more defensive. But once you relax into becoming an exactly human-sized leader, nothing to prove. Listen, I'm not talking about making mistakes willy-nilly and hurting people and not caring. I'm simply talking about being as kind to yourself and as patient with yourself as God is. That's the good news. That's all that God requires. So the inner critic, it's intense. I think I just covered it for maybe 20, 25 minutes here. This is something that deserves more time. If I can help you or your organization, if you're interested in doing a coaching group with some people and doing this inner critic work, be happy to do it. You can just email steve at stevecuswords.com. But really, you can just play this podcast in a group and go through these exercises I led you in as well and get far in your group. The, the second internal source of criticism, much shorter than the first, are the giants on your shoulders. So in this episode, we're just doing internal sources of criticism. Then on the next episode, we'll do the external sources of criticism. So just to give you a little hint, the external sources of criticism for the next episode, usual suspects, secondhand criticism, same room, different meeting, or also known as same meeting, different experience criticism, and cumulative criticism. So we'll cover four sources of criticism in the next episode. Those are the external sources, the ones coming at you. This episode, we're just going to focus on the internal sources. So number one was the inner critic. It's the most powerful. It's the most pervasive. It's the one that takes the most bravery, the most brave practice. And, and the second dynamic internally is the giants on your shoulders. The giants on your shoulders are the people who have had an impact in your life, whether it's a positive or negative impact that you are trying to live up to in any given situation so that when you fail or when you don't know what to do or when you didn't do it the way you should have, when you didn't do it as well as you should have, sometimes it's not just your inner critic that's speaking to you. Sometimes it's the people on your shoulders that you have turned into giants. Now, for some people, these are negative experiences. Maybe you had a really brutal upbringing and you have a parent on your shoulder who gave you messages as a kid that you were never enough. But oftentimes, the giants on your shoulders are actually positive influences. They are heroes. They are mentors of yours. And this isn't all bad. Like I have people in my life that I want to live up to what they see in me. I want to, uh, I, I consider oftentimes, you know, what would they do? What would they think? I, I'm not making the case that having mentors and influences are bad. Here's all I'm saying. When you're in a situation of maybe conflict or you don't know what to do, you carry this giant on your shoulder into a meeting. The problem with the giants on your shoulders is you're no longer attending to the people in the meeting. You're now trying to please a phantom on your shoulder. This is my story. I don't so much have negative voices in my head that, that have told me I'm no good. For me, I would say it's almost exclusively positive influences in my life that I'm trying to live up to. Now, where it gets into trouble is when I get into a meeting and I'm now trying to live up to those positive influences instead of being engaged with the people in your room. So the simple advice with giants on your shoulders, it's not as technical and complex as 
inner critic. It's just to get them off your shoulders, just to only ever deal with actual human beings in the moment. So particularly those giants on your shoulders that are still alive, deal with them when they're in the room, but don't be bringing them unnecessarily into a room where you're already anxious. It's too much pressure. You can't please a phantom. You can only please an actual human being. And even then, sometimes you can't please them either. What happens with giants on your shoulders is you turn them into caricatures. They're no longer actual living, breathing, three-dimensional human beings. You've now turned them into like a two-dimensional superhero. And if you have them on your shoulder where you think that they are judging you, judging your decisions, you don't actually know that they are. Maybe they would be kinder to you than you are too. So what happens with these internal sources of anxiety is they co-mingle. It's almost like a monster out of Lord of the Rings where this diabolical monster comes out of the dirt of co-mingling and now the giants on your shoulders and your inner critic have co-mingled and added to your anxiety. I would just invite you to detangle them, take them one at a time. Just a final word before we wrap up this episode is for too many people, we have taken the inner critic and the giants on our shoulders and we've commingled them into something so harsh, so condemning, so much pressure that we've now externalized it and projected it onto God. Or for some of you, you've externalized it and you've projected it onto someone you work with. I'll be, I'll be frank with you guys. You know, I'm, I'm a lead pastor. We have a large staff. And because we have a large staff, I'm not in daily contact with some of my team. And so over time, if we're not in daily contact, they stop seeing me, not all my team, this is just some of my team, they stop seeing me for who I am and they start seeing me through the lens of their inner critic and they've projected onto me a harsh taskmaster that I really am not. Now, I'll just tell you as a, as a leader, that's really painful for me. I, I don't like it when you think I'm harsher than I really am, not because you've had a harsh experience with me. And, you know, if you'd ask my team that question, they'd say, no, it's not because he's harsh. What it is, is your inner critic is causing you so much pressure that you can't keep it in. And you now have to get it out. And you've put it on somebody else. You've actually painted someone else with your inner critic. Some of you do that to people that you work with. Some of you do that to God. If that exercise I led you through, the voice of God is the same as the inner critic, that's not the gospel. You are no longer believing the one true God. You have painted God with a brush. You've painted God with a layer of your own inner critic, so that's what you see when you see God. I do a, a, a whole module on the dynamics of criticism on Capable Life. And actually, I think it's, I have to go back and check. I think it's a series of seven brief 10-minute videos. And there's also self-assessments you can do to help break free of the critics. And, the, you know, one of the things to realize is how do we believe the gospel over the message of ourself? And so if you want to do some of this work in a more structured way, and, you know, maybe you can't afford to bring me to your organization or your team, or maybe you're just an individual you can go to capablelife.me and all you have to do is sign up for one month of membership. You get access to the Dynamics of Criticism module. I, I should warn you, it will make you go through a foundations module first, but each video is only 10 minutes. It won't take long to do that. And then you can go through the Dynamics of Criticism module and I'll lead you step-by-step step through this process through a video series where you or some people you love can do it together. It's www.capablelife.me if you want to do that. But okay, 
That's Dynamics of Criticism Part 1, the internal sources of criticism. Join me next time where we do the Dynamics of Criticism Part 2, which is the external sources of criticism. The usual suspects, secondhand criticism, same room, different meeting, cumulative criticism. If you're curious about that, I'll see you next episode. For more resources, visit stevecusswords.com or missyoualliance.org.